0: Hello there and welcome to the next episode of Jedi Order Podcast. Thanks once again to everybody who has downloaded the podcast since we have launched in May. I mean, It's been in the hundreds now, so it's amazing to have everybody here and listening. Um, In this latest episode, we are going to go back and revisit the prequels. We're going to do that for the next couple of episodes, hopefully, as well, with our good friend Arzif, who has revisited... Previous episodes before with the original trilogy, Phantom Menace has always got a massive nostalgic feeling for myself. It was where Star Wars really became a thing for me, so it's been really enjoyable to kind of go back and and look at it in maybe a different viewpoint than I have before. So I hope you guys enjoy coming along for the ride and enjoy the next episode of Jedi Order podcast. <laughs> Let's go back in terms of, like, Phantom Menace. I don't know about for you, but I was talking to someone the other day in terms of, for me, Star Wars started with toys. I was handed, handed down a bunch of Star Wars toys. I can't remember seeing the original trilogy on TV. I, I knew about it. But I was I was never it was never actually a thing mm. until I got the toys, started playing with the toys, and then my mum took me to see. I think they did the re-releases. I think it was a celebration in ninety seven when they yeah. went back in the cinema. Well,
1: that's why uh, they added CGI into the the old editions and re-released them in the cinema.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: and uh, I was
0: uh, obviously it was a great marketing push because it was kind of like here they are, and then also we've got the new ones yeah. coming. But Phantom Menace for me was my beginning in terms of the star wars journey because it felt obviously it was like the film of my generation and the fanfare around it i'd never seen that for any film before the the so it was like on all the news channels and everything everybody
1: was reporting on it um so where, where did it sit with you yeah i mean uh pretty similar so i i um the original trilogy um i ended up watching um first in spanish in spain uh because my aunties and cousins had them um and so that was the first time i watched them there and there was always this sort of reverence for the original trilogy and kind of how it stood out for them in terms of filmmaking so i watched with them kind of lovingly first always in spanish and then we had like the original trilogy uh on video in spanish as well um And so my brother and I used to watch uh, the original trilogy, at least one of the films kind of most weekends. Um, We really, really loved Star Wars um, from the kind of original trilogy. Um, Yeah, and we used to kind of take turns, like each weekend we'd either watch A New Hope or um, Empire Strikes Back or Return. Um, I have very fond memories of actually A New Hope and Return of the Jedi when I was a kid. Um, And then Empire Strikes Back was always, cause it was you know a bit more depressing. It was kind of less, child friendly i would say because of the ending just a tad yeah so um and then yeah kind of similar to you well i mean it, it kind of led on to toys really uh because i love the whole universe and i love the toys and the figurines and then around that time they did the remastered versions in the cinema i remember going to see all three and then um yeah, it led up to the 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 prequels. Watching, I remember watching all three in the cinema as well at the time, uh, because it was, as I said, it was kind of like always a quite a a, a big deal for our family. Uh, we always kind of held them in quite high regard. So, yeah, I remember seeing the prequel in the cinema and kind of, and yeah, as you said, like the fanfare around it was was huge. Uh, I remember the cinema was packed, so many news channels and you know, kind of highlighting the the screening and you know showing everyone dressed up like jedis and different characters from the universe and it was really quite a i mean you know you you call it cult but it was like sort of a mainstream cult it was it was so huge and because we had already loved it by that point and you know obviously this was still the early days of the internet so you don't really know how other people how how much other people love it and then you see these kind of news reports and it's like oh wow this is this is you know like it spans across generations. Um, I remember lots of you know fathers taking their, their kids to see the Phantom Menace and it being a real, sort of, uh, you know, well, not just, you know, sons, but daughters, anyone. Um, it was like a real kind of bonding moment. So yeah, it was, I remember it very clearly actually. And it was, uh, it was interesting because I think it affected also the way I thought about the film at the time. Um, and also because I think being a kid um I so straight out to be honest when i the first time i saw phantom menace i really enjoyed it as a kid and i thought it was you know a really fun star wars film there was lots of action i think because i was a kid i didn't find jar jar annoying as such he was just more of a goofy character so i didn't have you know too much of an opinion on him so i yeah so my kind of initial impression of the first one was that i really enjoyed it but then it's funny because I think you know as we've grown up in the internet age you know there's all the kind of online reviews like the the famous red letter media ones and a lot of people kind of that I know and myself you know you kind of turn on the on the prequels and and you know a lot of people honed in on the phantom menace because of certain things and pe- you know characters like Jar Jar Binks and so a lot of people you know later on had this sort of ne- very negative image of it and you know whilst I did agree initially I have to say a few years back actually when the the new trilogy was coming out on sky they were re-showing all the kind of you know all the old films and you know that and i had a real proper chance to re-watch the prequel films and after having disliked them for a long time throughout my teenage years i actually kind of you know re-watched them with almost like fresh eyes because it'd been quite a long time yeah and i found myself that i didn't i think i you know, I I think I you know you you end up getting caught up in the in the sort of the, the hysteria of those you know types of internet reviews that you know you you think that all the writing is bad and all the characters are stupid and all of this stuff. But actually, like having rewatched them later on, I was I, I found that I actually quite enjoyed them. Um, there was a lot you know that they added to the canon in terms of story uh, characters. They set up a lot of games um, and comics as well. So. It's you know so I think my impression of all the prequels and you know Phantom Menace as well it's 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 mixed it's it's quite an interesting thing and so rewatching them this weekend uh, you know for the podcast it was again like I I hadn't rewatched them in in a year or two at least so it was quite fresh eyes again and with Phantom Menace I have to say overall I um I think the pace of it it moves kind of you know off the bat it moves quite it's quite an odd pace but it moves quite well throughout the whole film because i remember like putting it on and seeing that it was two hours and 15 minutes long and i don't remember it being that long and thinking like oh wow, that feels like quite a long film but actually it flows really well over two hours and 15 minutes and, you know especially for what you could consider it's weird because it's not really a kid's film but there's very there's a lot of elements which appeal to kids so, you know, you think that a film over two hours might be a bit long, but actually I found that, you know, the flow of it was quite good, even if there were, you know, various things about the films which and, and the film that I didn't like. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, what, what about you? Like, how did you feel when you, like, what was your trajectory uh, in, in terms of uh, opinion for
0: Phantom Menace? When When I first saw, I mean, this is the thing, isn't it? It's like, I wasn't seeing the Phantom Menace the first off the bat. I was just, I fell in love with it completely because seeing the original films, I really enjoyed them. I don't know what it was it was about this film, maybe just because it was of my era mm. that particular time. But when seeing The Phantom Menace for the first time, I remember going back to see it numerous amounts of times. And all of the things that... I found over the years that have been what people have decided are the negative parts of the film, whether it's characters, CGI, even storyline or actors, whatever it's been, it never that never resonated with me at any point in time. And I did find myself a few years ago or so when when you just when I was becoming more involved in listening to like Star Wars podcasts, uh, Star Wars YouTube channels, following you know Instagram accounts and everything like this, and and people just reference, oh yeah, because you know how terrible the prequels were and all this, and and to me it was like I don't re- I don't remember that. I can't really understand what you guys are talking about. And then to hear people say it all the time, I then remember thinking, oh yeah, well maybe. Yeah, maybe the CGI wasn't great. And, oh, maybe, maybe Jar Jar isn't a great character. But then I just went back and re-watched them, you know, a number of years ago. And I've watched them numerous times since. And I've watched Phantom Menace numerous times. Yeah. Because Phantom Menace, a lot of people say Revenge of the Sith is their favourite of the... Uh, prequels. It's a very well-loved film, I think, universally. But for me, Phantom Menace is my favourite one. And I don't know why it's just the first one always seems to be my favourite. A New Hope was my favourite. Phantom Menace is my favourite. Force Awakens is my favourite. Mm. I, I don't know why. I I'm. I think I'm very much... I don't like things ending. So yeah. I love the beginnings. Yeah. <laughs> I, lo- I love the the start of the journeys. I, I thought... I love Jar Jar never had a problem with him throughout the whole entire time I thought it was I thought he was hilarious I loved his goofiness I loved for me the Phantom Menace my highlights were Liam Neeson and Ewan McGregor and the rivalry with Darth Maul the kind of Jedi story because it was it was unbelievably Jedi heavy from the get-go which you didn't have as much in the original you had to follow luke's journey you had obi-wan who almost used to be a jedi then you had luke becoming a jedi not really becoming that full kind of jedi level until return of the jedi until the Mm. third film and this is something i hadn't quite seen before and i'm sure a lot of people were very um the jedis always seem to be the main focus especially because this is the skywalker saga so it's a main point story beat throughout all of them but seeing the focus on them especially you know the open opening scene almost when they're first going to do negotiations with the trade federation seeing that initial battle i was just like i was so excited i'm like i'm already getting more jedi than i could have imagined in the first in the first 10 minutes
1: so it's interesting you mentioned the Jedi thing because I agree with you um, that there is you know a fair amount of Jedi in the prequels and and actually having rewatched them now, I I actually think the film could have gone more Jedi heavy in certain ways because so uh, admittedly I did relook at like some of the red letter media kind of points that he had raised you know uh, a while back and you know one of the kind of first points he raises is the, the sort of the fact that there's no proper central character in the phantom menace and whilst i kind of agree i think that that was a missed opportunity for lucas and the uh, for george lucas and in making it in that um i think the film almost could have been set up into um a, a different way to, like, from my, this is kind of my own opinion about it, but, like, d- in a different way to highlight more of the Jedi role in the, the Star Wars universe at that time. Because I think, you know, because from the start, you're, you know, set up into this Trade Federation storyline. uh, You know, the Jedis are there to sort of act as police or spies. You, you know, you're, you're not entire. it's not entirely clear. Actually, I found until Episode 2 of the role of the Trade Federation and, you know, who was behind it. So it's a, initially a little bit unclear but I think that they kind of missed the trick to create the film from two perspectives to really highlight um, the force and how different people interact with it. I think they could have gone, in the first half it should have been from the perspective of Obi-Wan because he is Qui-Gon Jinn's Padawan, he is still relatively young at that point point. Um, and also he's, you know, he's not a Jedi Knight yet or he's not a Jedi Master yet um, and he's know still developing in training and i think they could have used the first half more uh maybe to highlight his perspective on on the force and 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 their role of the role of the jedi within the, the galaxy and you know policing it or you know uh acting as this sort of separate order to maintain good and balance and then i think the second half they could have really highlighted bringing anakin further into the jedi temple and you know teaching him the lessons of what it is to be a jedi and controlling your emotions and having to be a singular person and you know very monk-like and i i feel that you know re-watching them there are lots of elements of jedi throughout the phantom menace but i feel that you know they could have gone even further into it to help explain the setting of of the story uh and as i said like the the role of the jedi in the in the galaxy what they're expected to do how they're expected to train and the source of uh, you know resistance they have to to their own emotional kind of content. So I I, I like the, the the Jedi stuff, but I, I feel that they could have gone even further into it because one thing from watching the prequels is I I almost want more Jedi temple in there. Overall, I think they could have, as I said, like kind of with Obi Wan and Anakin, they could have they had these really key characters that they could have used to explore. Uh, what it is you know the force and being a jedi and being a sith and to lay out more of the foundation and that was one thing which unfortunately they kind of missed out on but i do think that you know i i i really like um coi and obi wan i think you know neeson and and mcgregor were i i rewatching them i think they were great i remember them fondly um people you know it's it's funny because again rewatching some of the reviews you know people didn't like Koi Gonjin as a character, which I and, and they and a lot of people said they they couldn't really describe him, which I found kind of a bit odd because actually I, I find Koygong Jin like from his actions alone and the fact that he goes against the Jedi Order, you know, from the Phantom Menace, and you know, I mean, he's only in one film. You can tell quite a lot about his character, the way he is. He's quite, you know, he's a, obviously a very dedicated Jedi Knight and, and teacher to Obi Wan, but then he also has this, you know, hugely compassionate side to, and also he recognizes anakin as the chosen one so i think he's you know like quite a wise stoic character which helps set the the kind of he he's sort of almost the break in 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 the jedi order to to go beyond what they expect and and start pushing out into the realm to you know bring in new people and and bring them over to the good side rather than letting them fall to the dark side so yeah, I, I think he was a, a great character and I, I like him. I think he's got some, some good lines and, you know. Jar Jar Binks, on the other hand, I have to say rewatching it, I uh, I think he sticks out like a stall thumb, really. I think in terms of CGI, he is quite oddly coloured. I remember like in the first kind of scene where you see him, all of a sudden he's you've got this kind of flesh-coloured amphibian there and he really sticks out from the kind of forest scene that he's in and it you put the start you can tell that it's like almost goofy like because it's he's so he stands out so much and then i have to say over all with the phantom menace i found that it had quite a mixed tone um and i think this is probably where a lot of people criticize it in that it was like like taking like the first half an hour you know you've got them on the on the trade federation ship you know, to discuss politics and business, and then it turns into an attack on them. And then they, you know, land on Naboo and, you know, come across Jar Jar and the Gungans. And so you've got quite a a serious setup, I think, from the start with the Jedis and like what they have to do. You're not exactly sure what happens, but you know, um, or why they're there, I should say, but that kind of gets revealed later on. But then all of a sudden you go from this very serious situation to meeting Jar Jar Binks, who's obviously silly, And then him taking them to the Gungans, which I also actually generally found the Gungans sillier than I remember. So, and I find that, you know, that kind of sets the film up generally quite a lot um, in terms of they have these very serious moments and then they have these very silly either characters or moments or lines, which i don't know if it works all the time i think it kind of undermines the seriousness sometimes and the seriousness also kind of undermines the silliness so it doesn't really settle but saying that i do think that that you know as i said with the pacing earlier i think it does help it move along because either you've got action or comedy you know as a a, a feature to to you know liven up the energy but i just do think that like perhaps it felt like a film where they obviously knew that a lot of kids were going to watch it there was you know a, a huge opportunity for toys and characters etc and i think the balance is somewhat it's odd because you, you can tell that they're trying to pay fanfare to the jedis and and with the serious storylines and obviously with darth moore and darth sidious and you know kind of being the the puppet masters behind the scenes so you've got the seriousness there but i think the silliness almost it feels at points a little bit out of place because they're so it's it, because it, it's so obvious i think it if it was more baked into either the script or the characters um in a more subtle way then it would be more effective you know it, kind of like how han solo is like han solo provides a lot of the comedy in the original pre in the original trilogy and you know a lot of the comedy just comes from his manners and his his one-liners and things like that and i find that with phantom menace like that the the silly seriousness of it th- this is the tone or the, the 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 adjective i've coined for it silly serious um it it kind of replaces those quips and that that sharp attitude which i think is kind of unfortunate but then i i think it was trying to appeal to a different generation i i think you know i it's it's Kind of looking back on it, you know, you you have to forgive Lucas, I think, a a little bit because of him. It's such a gargantuan task to kind of revisit, you know, a very well-loved trilogy, which was loved by kids and adults um, at a certain time where, you know, effects were very limited. um, And I think for him, he had this kind of task of trying to appeal to lots of things. And in that, he loses, I think, some of the appeal of the film generally. Um in that it just, it, it the tone never really settles. And then, you know, as I said, like there were, there's certain features which I, I didn't realise were kind of silly until rewatching. but I found like, for example, the droids um, surprisingly silly as enemies. I don't know what you thought about them. They were, I found them kind of almost like a, a nuisance at points that they were like, and you know, they, I think I, I saw them only killed like one or two people in the film. And, you know, so they're not very, incredibly lethal but you know but actually as enemies as well they they felt almost slightly nonsensical at point and then with the gungans as well it felt you know it's funny because the the main battle i had very fond memories of as a kid and really enjoying it but rewatching it now i felt that it was almost like one silly set of characters against another silly set of characters and and that for me kind of it it was an odd tone rewatching it because you can see how kids would love it but in terms of the you know the appeal of the film it's quite funny because that's set you know with the background of koi Gonjin and obi-wan fighting darth maul which is a really serious battle um and i felt I, I don't know that they kind of i mean i don't think that's the worst scene where they it, uh, the tone undermines itself but i think that that's kind of quite a good point to or like a, quite a good section to show that, you know, you've got these um, lots of themes going on, lots of key themes that they're trying to explore, but it's almost a little bit clashing um, from, you know, just, I suppose, like my opinion in terms of the the, the tone of it. Um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, perhaps they could have been, it could have been made a little bit more combined together uh, with more, maybe of the, of, of the force, kind of uh angle added in as well to add to the seriousness and and almost you know grow it out from there well that's
0: that's interesting because there's a there's um there's a few things you touch on there if we go back to what you initially said i could i completely agree with you in terms of obi-wan qui-gon i really feel when you say Uh, At the beginning, how the movie moves at a really good pace is about two hours, 10 minutes or two hours, 20 minutes long. I feel there could have easily been an extra 10 minutes there setting up the initial scene that we first see where it would have been great to see Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan on a mission pre that meeting. uh, in whatever it's relevance to just to see a bit more which I feel lends itself like you were saying it really lends itself to the relationship you see later on between Anakin and Obi-Wan apprentice you know Jedi Master if we got to see I know we do get quite a number of scenes between Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon but just maybe a little setup in the sense of maybe where Obi-Wan not rebelling against something but maybe not understanding something and there's a lesson to be learned in the first time we see them on camera yeah and then maybe the same outline for the trade federation if we had a pre-meeting say with um palpatine who was obviously we didn't know he was playing the two roles uh at that time you just that's how it's laid out to be. But maybe if it it would have been great if you had them discussing the point of this meeting, what the trade federation had to like, make sure that nobody realized was happening. And you had that, it would have been great to open up um, the um, Obi-Wan Qui-Gon mission, full on lightsabers going and them kind of fighting for their life in, in some way. And that transitioning, into them into first you see the federation talking about the meetings coming up and then them traveling to that meeting uh that would have yeah that would have really it would have great to have seen more uh beats in the story like that so you could play as the films went on you could play those two relationships off each other the obi-wan anakin
1: relationship and the obi-wan qui-gon relationship sorry to I have to interject because you know the point you've raised just there is actually like the exact thought I had for episode two I know we're not talking about episode two at the moment but I really thought that a a pre-action scene um would have been an incredible opener for episode two to as you said like because in episode one it would have really laid out the the foundation for Koi-Gon Jin's and Obi-Wan's relationship if you had just seen them beforehand, kind of in an action point, um, or you know, in some sort of other mission, maybe related to the Trade Federation, which helps explain it a bit more. I mean, and and that's the thing: it starts off them on a mission, but I know exactly what you mean that they're. And, and this is actually a, a kind of key thing with Episode One and the other prequels, which I find is that they've got lots of good themes and ideas. They're loads, but I feel that their the execution of them is somewhat. It's a little bit clunky and they don't use kind of as you said like kind of common uh you know f- film um uh, ideas such as flashbacks really um to really like help set out the characters and you know and and what they're doing and what their mission is to achieve um and yeah i had exactly the same thought for episode two uh to really like help set up that anakin obi-wan relationship and how it had developed since anakin was a kid um and i think that could have been i think they could have you know done something with maybe obi-wan's training um from koi Jen. and this is kind of the, you know related to the point i was mentioning earlier that i think they could have done it from obi-wan's kind of point of view for the first half and then once we meet anakin it kind of switches over to his point of view and you know you really explore the force and the universe through those two characters because they're so central um throughout the whole you know essentially well, the first you know six films really um so it would have been a, I think yeah I, I agree it would have been like a nice opportunity to almost as we said like more jedi you know um more force more more battles more koi battling and and also more of their kind of teacher padawan relationship um because they're both great actors and they, i think they would have made like a, a nice kind of go of it and you know with a bit of good script to to fill in certain plot points or ideas um yeah it it w- uh, yeah sorry go
0: on. no i feel that it it's something that for the star wars films one thing that i understand this is this is in some ways, somebody could write where a script where a lot of this is doable but then i think one of the things that star wars films struggle with is the lack of time to use in terms of the original trilogy even though lucas in his mind, however fragmented, had the idea for the nine episode journey to the audience, especially from A New Hope. You didn't know you were getting a sequel. That was Star Wars then. And then they knew they were getting a sequel. And after that, they obviously knew they were getting Return of the Jedi. But it was so much more focused on just having to tell this particular story and not having to focus on loads of other moving parts and moving elements and because a lot of people which i find is an unfair comparison compare the marvel franchise to the star wars franchise where that is obviously completely different is when you have a situation like infinity war and end game they are being set up by 20 films yeah or, or, you know, 20 plus films to tell every fragment of the story and give every character the breathing space they deserve. Whereas in Star Wars, because it was captured in this, this story was captured in this nine episode point by point basis. I feel when they came more so, I think the pressure is, isn't it? Hmm. Phantom Menace and came again, I think, in Force Awakens you have that pressure that there's so much riding on it. There's yeah. so much story that has already been told and it's been told after the pieces that you're now going to set up. I feel maybe Lucas will, with all credit to him, is trying to fit a lot of stuff in. Yeah, definitely. We are obviously saying what we would love to see more of, which, you know, if we could go back and change things, I'm, I'm sure we would. Mm. But I must imagine that, this isn't me saying uh like and it's it's an excuse or it's just looking at it sometimes when you've had more time to live with it when you've seen the making of documentaries and all this type of stuff you have more information than you've ever had before on these beats you kind of you kind of feel episode one two and three should have had nine movies just to tell that story
1: yeah i i I agree i think you know as i kind of You know said i think at the beginning that watching the prequels again i have to say like one of the things i i kind of do appreciate is that they've all got really clear themes and ideas as to yeah what what they want to portray and i think they do do that um you know they portray anakin becoming darth vader quite effectively i i think actually um even though you know the i think you know the, the for me as I said, like the, the themes and ideas are great across all three. I think the filmmaking, um, yeah, obviously, yeah, as you said, like with hindsight, we can, we can you know, we have so much information about how they were made and who was involved, et cetera. And also the fact that it was such a, a Lucas kind of vision as well and that he had a lot of control over it. I think that's somewhere where thinking about it, that for me is is the point from, you know, just the point of view of of, of filmmaking that I think they suffer from, perhaps maybe having one person in too much control and i i know this kind of criticism has been leveled at lucas before um but i think if he had like another writer or a director to help kind of bounce ideas off or or really tighten up some of the you know the the ideas and elements and characters and and certain lines and maybe shorten certain scenes or you know add in you know perhaps smaller scenes to add context um it could have really tightened up the the overall film, um, but I, I also think that you know he, as you said, you know he 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 had a lot kind of riding on this in terms of he wanted to pay homage to the fans, you know, from the seventies onwards, uh, as well as you know bringing new kids and fans to <laughs> the the franchise going forwards. And I think you know it's funny because he did really achieve that because you know having seen it as a kid. I didn't pick up on the goofiness of something which was terrible and I enjoyed it. And it, and it brought me in, you know, it, it didn't turn me off the Star Wars franchise. It brought me further in. So actually it does work in a, in a way, um, which you, we can now look back on and say like, actually, yeah, it did appeal to kids. And, you know, as adults, we are still rewatching them and yeah, we do have problems with them, but I think, you know, a lot of the themes and ideas are actually quite interesting to the overall story and character development. And as you said, like, you know, you could have countless films, um, highlighting the relationship between koi-gon and and obi-wan and obi-wan and anakin and and obsidious etc i mean there there are so many characters with a lot of depth um that almost he he couldn't pay homage to all of them because that he only had three films to do it really um but i do think that there were moments that he could have tightened up um parts of the script and and, and the filmmaking and use kind of, uh, made more use of um, kind of filmmaking ideas. Like, as we said, like with the kind of flashback scene or um, like one thing I I was kind of surprised about is um, I think, you know, once Anakin leaves his planet, um, I think they could have made more of something with that to lead into more of his trauma as an early adult that he really is, quite affected because again I think Anakin is a character in Phantom Menace he's he's a bit of an odd one in that he's again he he's kind of almost the perfect summation of the silly serious tone for me because he's this incredibly (laughs) I mean he's a, a slave kid who races you know pod races on Tatooine and um so he's he's you know quite a serious kid and you know he's incredibly technically advanced and you know he he has a lot going for him but then you know there's certain moments where he almost downplays his own sort of ability um and also he has like you know sort of very kiddy lines which is quite odd because it almost feels feels as if he's not a kid even though he's so young um and so uh, yeah I, so i think he's you know he has some great moments, but he also has some kind of moments that take away from hi- himself, really. Um, and I, so I think, you know, uh, as a character, it's it's an interesting sort of establishment and also how he develops in the other films. It's, well, I mean, as I said, like the, the tone of this film, especially compared to the other prequels, I think it does, it, the tone evolves over the prequels, really. Um, and yeah, so I think Anakin is quite a, you know, an interesting result of of the, the making because he is the child protagonist, really, uh, the person that we see the the film through. But he, um, and he's in, involved in very serious situations, battles, and things like that. But he always maintains being a kid, which it makes sense. But I think it's also quite odd because he's he's in he's already you know in such a serious situation himself that he's a, you know he's a slave and he's you know never going to be owned. And then he gets lucky, basically. Um, I think they,
0: um, on the Anakin story, especially in The Phantom Menace, it must be something that they kind of went back and forth with in the terms of, I'm guessing what they were trying to do is show the level of change he goes through from boy to Darth Vader, that innocence to uh like teenagehood adulthood and eventually over to the dark side but like you said yeah it is it's kind of a strange um character base for him because there are a lot of the you got the like you were saying the silly seriousness but a lot of the seriousness ends up in scenes with him
1: Hmm.
0: and it does sometimes feel a bit offbeat, even though he is a kid in this. Yeah. But I think it's because we all have this preconception. Well, in our mind, it's he is Darth Vader to a certain extent. That's always lodged back there, isn't it, in our heads? Um, so I, I, this is something I obviously thought more of as I got older and watched the films more and more again and again. But, yeah, very much so you hit it kind of nail on the head in terms of sometimes his his sureness of himself marred hmm. with his like innocence and then kind of unsureness of himself, sometimes flip too quickly, yeah especially in scenes which are more serious focused. i I definitely feel there there could have been a bit more based upon him having to leave his home. You, you go, obviously get the initial goodbye from his mum. He's clearly, obviously, sad and slightly traumatised by that happening. But it it then never really comes back into much of light, apart from, I think, a brief, uh, a brief discussion with Padme uh, yeah. on the ship just after they leave and that's kind of it i feel if that was maybe a bit more because then we see him further on down the line in the other films on how that distance has really hurt him and he feels yeah he made the wrong decision being away from her so long but i would have thought maybe that would have been played on a bit more the separation from his mum at that young age
1: yeah and actually this is i mean you know coming back to what we were saying with the um the scene setter like i I really felt that episode two could have used a scene setter um for anakin to help explore that relationship and that longing for his mum, and possibly how that longing for his mum then develops into the longing for padme um and how he has this sort of separation from one female role in his life and then he kind of takes it on to a, another person who you know he, he's been around and you know obviously falls in love with it's interesting because you know uh, coming back to that the, the again the tone and with Anakin as a character one of the the scenes for me that sums it up is you know when he's preparing his pod racer uh, beforehand and they're kind of fixing it up and Jar Jar is there and he electrocutes his tongue yeah so that scene again it like sums up the film and sort of the confusion of the tone in that you've got anakin kind of there working on a really technical pod racer which is a deadly race that he's going to be in and he's kind of there like you know a bit nonchalant and it's you know almost a bit arrogant but then you've got jar jar there downplaying the seriousness of the the preparation you know by paralyzing his tongue but you've i actually wrote this down as well there was one of anakin's friends uh, at that point goes to say like oh you know like they're, they're bored of the pod race and he goes let's go play ball instead and I laughed out loud at that line because it was like, what kid wouldn't want to play with a pod racer and wants to go play ball instead, you know? And it almost was like such a random line that like it, it maintained Anakin as a kid, but it's almost so ridiculous that you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what they're trying to show in this scene. I mean, cause clearly it's like, you know, he's, you know, he's, a he's a, a genius anakin you know and he's working on this pod racer and you know for this deadly race and you know any kid of that age would be like wow that's so cool and everything but then you've got almost people not taking him seriously um and not taking his role seriously and it's almost a bit like it's a bit odd um he's pretty much built a formula one car yeah basically you know <laughs> in his backyard yeah and he's a slave yeah with just spare parts yeah so it's, it's quite incredible what he does. And I, I just find that, you know, it never pays proper homage to to just how th- the type of character he is and what he develops into, really. Um, yeah. So I, I think they kind of missed a, a bit of a trick there. Um, and um, yeah, I just, yeah, I thought that was quite interesting. Um, I also... One thing I also found quite interesting as well is the uh, or slightly undecided is the idea of the prophecy as well uh, in relation to Anakin. I actually really enjoy the, I love the kind of immaculate conception idea, you know, um, that Anakin is created from from nothing, almost like a Jesus Christ figure. For me, that I, I think that adds a really kind of cool almost biblical sort of tone to it. That it's, and, and it goes to show the forces in this way that you know, it works in very mysterious ways. Um and I think it's interesting with the prophecy and like how Liam Neeson is also so attached to the idea of the prophecy. Um but also himself, he's part of it himself because you know you you think about the like one point one scene which I th- had some some thought around was when um Watto rolls the dice to decide between Anakin and his mum and how Koi-Gon manipulates that to be Anakin. And at that point it was quite interesting because you Koi-Gon know, Jinn talking about the prophecy, but then he almost becomes a part of the prophecy. And I, I, I like that sort of, um, that almost, he's almost unaware of how important he is in, 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 in the, um, in kind of the grand scheme of Anakin's role. Um, and it's interesting because I, I I think that really sets out a Kogonjin of the you know that tells a lot about Koigonjinin's character and how he feels about Anakin um in that he is this sort of mentor figure, and he feels that he's destined for greatness. Um, but it's almost like I, I think it's interesting because if he was you know, a proper Jedi Knight, he would have never taken Anakin and, you know, never kind of insisted on him being such a essential role. but he, he makes him into it, and I think yeah, that kind of scene and their kind of relationship does tell quite a lot about both of them. Um, and yeah, so it, yeah, so it's a he's an interesting character, Anakin. I think it's. Um, I I also, if, coming back specifically to the Phantom Menace, what I found quite interesting is how technically minded Anakin is early on, um, and then how he kind of loses this later on. And I'm not sure if that's sort of that could have been something that they used to show more of his childhood innocence, maybe that he was like always like in robots and things like that and you know building podcasts and and that was his old life and then you know becoming a Jedi Knight, he sort of leaves all of that behind. And I felt that they use it, you know, quite heavily when they introduce Anakin as a character, but then it's completely dropped afterwards. Um that's true.
0: I mean, because not only he created the uh, uh, built his pod racer from spare parts he also built c3po absolutely from spare parts like, Yeah. so what you were also saying the the prophecy i think that seems to i feel that's one of the biggest things that ends up being a negative on anakin's character as he grows up because it seems like they didn't shy away from telling him that he was the prophecy or the chosen one. Obi-Wan mentions it to him in the Revenge of the Sith in a way that it that it seems that he was told before, hmm. which maybe leads to his, um, I guess, shift in personality, shift in arrogance in the later films. Like that prophecy turns from being something of hope that Qui-Gon like you said pursues and ends up really being a part of mm. making happen and then it does the complete flip as his character does anyway yeah but it's interesting that that is a drive not just from Qui-Gon but from the Jedi Council that he is the chosen one and they're all kind of makes Windu's character Hmm. As well as Qui-Gon's character, kind of taken up in this, you know, talking when they speak to Yoda a few times, talking about the chosen one. Is he the chosen one? The prophecy and all this type of talk around it. It's, yeah. but and it's it's quite it's quite interesting. Also, like you said, he's a very technical headed character, really at the forefront of his character uh, the get-go in terms of building c-3po building the pod racer flying a naboo fighter ship into space and taking down one of the blockades (laughs) you know almost by accident (laughs) just going yeah i've literally become uh, a master pilot Mm. in (laughs) 10 seconds um it is interesting that that trait especially doesn't really pop up that much as time goes on.
1: Yeah. And I think, yeah, as I said, kind of, I think they could have used that to explore more of his childhood innocence and how that changes within him. And then, and how he changes um, as, as a character, because yeah, he, he, it's, and also there was one thing which was, which I found quite interesting of this. Well, I, I say interesting, uh kind of self-defeating of the script in that when when Koy-Gon jinn tells him that he's gonna take him off the planet, um, Anakin seems more excited about going on the starship than he does about becoming a Jedi Knight. And I found that quite funny because he kept mentioning the starship in it, but not the Jedi Knight part. So clearly he's much more focused around kind of flying and technical, you know, ships and things like that than he is even about becoming a Jedi Knight. Um which, I, yeah, as I said, I think they could have used that to explore maybe more of his sort of childhood uh, change from being, you know, this sort of serious kid. Um, and also, I think that it could have been a good theme to explore the fact that, you know, when we meet Anakin, he's a slave on Tatooine, but then he has he enjoys a lot of freedom as a slave, you know. He he's allowed to pod race, he, he builds these things, he builds robots, he has friends, you know, he he's not a slave in the you know, the kind of I suppose the way that we think of a slave, that you know, they're always like unhappy and they have nothing of enjoyment. But he's actually quite he has quite a lot of freedom. Um and I think that's one of the things they kind of miss out. They could have really highlighted the contrast between that sort of freedom he has as a kid uh and then once he becomes a jedi knight essentially he's technically more free but actually the constrictions of being a jedi knight make him into almost a slave of their system and i think they could have really made more of that because he he's such a dynamic kid in in what he likes and doesn't like and and they almost missed that um for in the second part of the phantom menace and also in the kind of early parts of um of uh Attack of the Clones that they, they they could have used these very obvious character traits to really show like actually this is what he liked as a kid and then this is what's changed in his life and now he either likes it or doesn't or his you know priorities have changed or you know he's into girls now or whatever you know and it it's 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 uh yeah it's kind of an interesting thing that I think they miss out on. And this is kind of the idea that you know when I you know I'm, I'm gonna keep coming and keep saying this that great themes and ideas in the films just poorly executed or not as well thought out as they could have been. And, uh, you know, I'm saying this with a gift of hindsight and looking back on all of them and the things that they've missed out. But, um, but uh, yeah, I think in terms of filmmaking, this is where maybe Lucas could have really had or worked with someone who could really tighten up the script and the characters and, um, and sort of shorten things down really to, to, to have key lines and points that really define characters and these key traits of them, um, and yeah, so it's um, it's an interesting uh, you know kind of character setup for Anakin. And but I, to be honest, I, I mean, one of the things I have to say that I do love about the Phantom Menace, I think everyone can say this, is the pod racing scene is bloody awesome. I know it's like a CGI fest, and people have problems with the CGI. I, I also have some problems with some of the CGI, but for me, the pod racer is just it's such a a defining scene as well. I mean, it's one of the ones I most fondly remember uh, as a kid. Well, um, this is what I think.
0: Phantom Menace does is it, regardless of uh, story and all the other elements that are coming into play within over the course of the film. What it does do extremely well is it has a couple of really powerful scenes just awesome scenes that kind of almost define the movie in some aspects. Firstly, the pod racing scene, which as a kid, and I always remember playing the games afterwards, you could get the pod racing games in the arcade. I literally ran to that machine every single time (laughs) Um, I remember, but that scene was just, it was a thrill ride from, from beginning to end. And that scene, the pub racing scene and everything about it, Sir so- yeah. his rivalry with him, I think that scene is so brilliantly shot. The CGI in it seems to be on a different level sometimes to the yeah. rest of the
1: film for that particular scene. Um, Even to the rest of the movies, to be honest, it feels like a, a real kind of technical highlight um, in action and just flow. And and also the fact that you've got the, you know, elements like, yeah, as you said, Sabulba. Watto and the bet and Jabba the Hutt as well there's a lot around that scene that tells you a lot about Tatooine um, and how it operates and how the universe sort of, sort of operates on this other side that you've got these Jedi Knights from the Republic but then you've also got this kind of Tatooine backstreet sort of gambler when I say backstreet it's you know pod racing you know ginormous but it's yeah I think it, the scene tells you so much about the, the world the wider Star Wars like world and characters and how they operate that it's it's such a great scene for that there's so much going on and like the you know the other species that are racing and 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 spectating it, it's yeah it's a thrilling scene to be honest I, I always love that scene
0: I always think it's the uh I look at it as a pod racing cantina yeah 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 of, with all the different creatures you get when Absolutely. everyone gets their own screen time
1: yeah.
0: on the introductions at the beginning of the race and then during the race itself and you get to see what Type of machines and races that those uh, characters create, yeah. and um, it's it's yeah, it seems to be that special effects visual shot seems to be leaps ahead sometimes mm. of other shots. You said even in episode two and in episode three, and now I know obviously there was a big change between how episode one and episode two was filmed, episode two being the first completely digital yeah. Star Wars film episode one I think had still a mixture of the original way of filming and digital and a mishmash of the both but still the pop racing scene is something that is like Star Wars folklore it's it's just iconic throughout the whole entire saga and something I wanted to touch on especially due to that and that being one of them another there must be like there are for there are for me, and I'm sure this is one for you. Favorite scenes within the film, beat by beat. Um, obviously, the fight between yeah. Obi Wan, Qui Gon, and Darth Maul. I, 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 lo-
1: I, I love that scene as well. It's epic.
0: And I'd never thought of it before, but how you. That is one of the best ways of seeing that analogy of the silliness and seriousness, the jump between those two battles going on at the exact same time, between the Gungans and the droids. And what's funny about that, that particular battle starts off, the droids start off menacing yeah, and then as the battle goes on they become more and more uh, the silly level goes up, like yeah, someone yeah. slowly turning a dial (laughs) because when they first come out, I always remember that scene and rewatching it when they first all come out in those ships and they set up and their heads all pop up and they take the guns off. It's almost like Terminator esque, like here's just a whole entire army of machines that are coming to assassinate everything in their path. And then as they, when they first start marching, everything's extremely extremely serious and then as the battle commences there's a there's a moment where i think jar jar gets one of them caught on his foot and ends up taking about six or eight i always find it really funny there's one the one particular scene before the battle commences that jar jar's gone on this journey from being someone who has been banished from going back to his city it never really alludes to what role he had
1: or why he was why, banished,
0: or why he was banished, then promoted to general. Yeah, then almost giving out orders on the field. There's a bit when he's when everyone's waiting there and he's just going steady, steady every and <laughs> suddenly this balance has come over him where he's now in charge of an army to yeah. a certain extent. I always found that quite hilarious
1: in terms of how's he now leading this? Yeah, I have to say this for me, as I said, like I rewatching it, I, I don't look at Jar favorably at all. I, I actually, I think the, a lot, as I said, the, a lot of the Gungans are generally quite silly in that even when they're preparing for war, you've got them kind of doing the, and the you know, the, the really silly elements that you're like, okay, like you're talking about war and then, okay, it's a bit fun but it was almost like every scene they appeared in, they had to do something like silly or stupid. And and it's interesting you bring up that droid deployment point because I actually love that part because for me, it really goes to show like how industrialized war is and how, you know, they're operating and it's so cold and calculated and it's just almost like, you know, kind of another day at the factory where they just put them out, they kill them and then they, you know, fold them away. And I, I love that scene, but then it's, yeah i i I think the whole kind of battle falls by the wayside once you know they start kind of actually fighting because also i mean i don't know like the the gungans i find like a very odd race they go to battle with basically (laughs) no weapons or what the weapons they have are like throwables and for me i find it very painful that you know they have technology as advanced as like the shield that can go over them and protect them but they don't have guns or like, you know, blasters or anything, which it's like, almost like, what is this race? Like, what, or why didn't the Naboo help them by giving them arms or something? You know, it was almost like, I mean, you, you, you kind of have to admire their bravery, but you also have to think like, Jesus Christ, these guys are like, you know, what? why are they even going to battle? You know, and, and, and one of the key points, I think, for the Gungans is, as you said, like, the promotion of Jar Jar over the Over the film that he goes he essentially gets promoted for making introductions um which you know the introductions are very key and they're important but like to promote into general is like it's it's almost scary in in terms of thinking and and we never know why he's ejected from the gungan kingdom anyway you know he, he, he seems to be this you know just clumsy idiot who you know screwed something up we don't know what it is um but then he's kind of almost welcomed back once the introduction's made. The Gungans take the introduction and then they promote him. And and for me, I think Jar Jar... I think even in the whole Star Wars canon, he is this character of intrigue because he's so... He goes against the grain for me in terms of Star Wars characters. Um, because I think either, you know... He it feels like everything he does is a, is a very happy accident, which is actually kind of annoying because he then gets rewarded for it. And also, and and this is the thing is that, you know, a happy accident, okay, fine. But it happens so many times that it's almost like, okay, what what is this guy? And, you know, and how is he able to do so much right by essentially being the wrong character? And I, I find the morality of Jar Jar Binks kind of annoying because he's always made out to be this, Good person, but actually, a lot of the things that he does aren't necessarily good or bad. They're just accidental, and you know. And in Star Wars, you know, you you have such a clear, defined morality of like good and evil and things like that. And then you've got Jar Jar, who kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. Who's this sort of happy accident? He is a good person, but everything he does is accidental. And actually, a lot of the accidental things come from him being cowardly. You know, which is again, it goes against the whole Star Wars universe because even like if you look at rogue one and you've got you know characters who are going to die but their bravery is so much that they become like these star wars heroes and like you know revered but then you've got jar jar there who's becoming this hero character but from essentially falling over um and i think you know he's again it comes back to that silly serious tone where it's like he's being rewarded very seriously for very very silly things that he does which seem to result in in good things and I, and I think that him as a character to be honest should have been completely rethought I think he was just he was far too silly for like the sort of role he had to play um, in the situation and I, I I think he's just one of the kind of things that does stick out just because of as I said like the sort of morality that he has in relation to the Star Wars universe The, the a lot of his lines are just silly and kind of annoying um, What I feel about Jar Jar and he's a kind of
0: Jar Jar was a project, almost by George Lucas, to in different ways. I think he was, in my mind, it seems, Jar Jar was the evolvement of George looking back at the original trilogy, and seeing how a character like C three PO works and has those comedic beats in his story. Yeah his clumsiness and thinking that is something that obviously works. A lot of people had love for that character. Let's take that and install it in a character again. So we have that same element, but then he's, he's just turned. One thing I'll say initially about Jar Jar is there's nothing. I have nothing against in terms of armor best and the way it was played, the way he was acted. Mm. Cause that guy, was one of like kind of the pioneers in motion capture he did a phenomenal job playing what was written for him as the character of Jar Jar but I feel what George did wrong with Jar Jar is he like you saying he turned that dial up too much on the silly side of things and it's not just Jar Jar on the Gungans I find you have when you have that first audience of the Gungan king Boss Nass with Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, when they have that first meeting, and the scene is set up and it's it's really darkly themed and lit, and almost the Gungan King is a very menacing character. Yeah. And if I feel if you took away the ticks that the Gungans have, you know, the blah, 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 kind of and a few other elements, then that character stays at that kind of menacing level and then if you took a character like jar jar and you dialed down took away his you could keep elements of how he's silly and clumsy but you halved it by 50 50 or 60 percent then suddenly it becomes a character that works because it fits that more comedic relief element but what I feel is a lot of people's problem with this character, like you've said as well, is they took that comedic relief and then they timesd it by a hundred. And rather than in particular scenes where Jar, Jar or Gungan does one thing for comedic purposes, they do three things. And that's a, that's obviously where it it ended up
1: pushing that mark for a lot of people just too far that's a good point actually because it makes me think that because if you consider all the other characters in phantom menace you know koi-gon jin and obi-wan they they're both quite serious characters even though obi-wan lightens up later on they're, they're all quite serious so if you think about it jar jar is the comedic relief for the first half well for mo- well, all for the film and but he's so concentrated it's also concentrated in just his character, w- rather than spreading out comedy lines throughout the characters. That actually, that's where the disservice comes in, in that he is his role is just that of the clown, you know, um, amidst you know knights and and prodigies, and you know, and he's just always there, kind of never really contribute. And also, it never, it never it never really bothers him that he, I mean, he doesn't seem to have any talents, you know, <laughs> which is you know like you've you've got these people around him who are like jedi knights and anakin who's like this you know genius and other people and padme who's the you know a, a, you know a, a ruler already at the age of what 14 or whatever and then you've got jar jar there who's just he's not even really funny and, and and the funny thing is that no one else finds him really that funny not even the gungans or the or obi-wan and koi-wan he's just there it's almost like a happy coincidence that and which kind of justifies his role but i find that yeah it's just almost yeah, just too much and just too too silly um he um yeah and he kind of, and as i said he for me he goes against the whole morality of the situation and again in phantom Menace, there's such a clear cut between the good jedi and then you know the sith and the trade federation you know so a very clear good and evil divide and then you've got jarja there who's on the good side but is he good like i suppose but it's not like he does i mean he does things of value but not from being good he just does it by accident every time which then just kind of gets infuriating after at the end when he's then made into a general and you know and he has all this power and you're like (laughs) actually one of the very funny things though is (laughs) sorry this is kind of jumping ahead but because he doesn't really appear in the rest of the trilogy. And this is, again, another interesting thing about Jar Jar Binks as a character, in that he's features in The Phantom Menace a lot. Then in Attack of the Clones, he features only a little bit at the start. and But because the tone of that film is so different, we'll go into that later, but he is only featured a little bit and then taken out. And then in the third one, he's actually, you know, <laughs> the representative in the Senate who puts forward the motion to make Uh, palpatine into the grand emperor so it's almost like (laughs) he's not just like okay so in the first one he's like this happy accident but like as he goes on he becomes this incredibly unhappy accident you know who happens to be in like quite you know in the wrong place at the wrong time doing the wrong thing and and it's interesting how his art goes from that of like oh you know i'm kind of like silly but here i am and and then until like oh i'm not silly and i'm doing serious things that then screw everything up for everyone so i'm still a fuck up <laughs> um <laughs> so yeah so I, you know kind of rewatching all three it was like you know like jar jar as a character is he is just and i think and i you know because he is so serious again in the first one that he can't he doesn't really fit into the other ones because the other ones aren't he just he, he's not the right tone and so as a character i think yeah as you, you know if he was dialed down to like 50% and he had some common sense or he had a skill like he was a pilot or something or, you know, um, or he was a great fighter or whatever, um, then he, it would have been easier to like Jar Jar. But unfortunately, there's <laughs> just so many elements about him that it's like, oh, Jesus Christ, here he is again. It's like, you know, that guy that, you know, you meet at like, a you know, out somewhere or he's a friend of a friend and he's like always, oh, you know, when you meet people who you like, oh, God, this guy is actually a little bit annoying. And it's, I feel like Jar is that sort of guy at the party. who's like, "Hey, so who's the one to play Twister?" And it's like, we don't want to play Twister, you know, like
0: <laughs> we don't want to play Twister. Jar. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I feel he was also a part of the point of maybe he to Lucas. He was the part of the point of making Phantom Menace more widespread in terms of audience Uh, that's what i presume in terms of when you look at his character and it's funny because like in attack of the clones you know like we will talk about his his role obviously is a lot smaller
1: Hmm.
0: but his mannerisms are kind of different and it's not something that really plays on in one's minds so it kind of makes me feel in the Phantom Menace, if they just turned it, toned everything down, gave him a skill like you were saying, made him maybe something that could have linked him with Anakin in terms of Anakin having a friend. He could have all, It would have been great if Jar Jar was also technical. Yeah, could 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 have had a skill of building things as well, so they could bond over. And Anakin has some someone other than. Padme, who obviously was conflicted because she was also Queen at the time so not exactly had the time to hang out with him.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that you say the kind of relationship between Jar Jar and Anakin, because again, they clearly are friends and actually that could have been something where they could have taken the seriousness of Anakin and offset it with the silliness of Jar Jar Binks in a way that they could have had really good dialogue together if he wasn't so silly and if anakin was kind of maybe a little bit less like arrogant or you know or or if we'd just been kind of exploring like through that sort of through a conversation with jar jar or something or you know like if they're on the ship and you know jar jar's like oh what what do you think of this or oh i built this and you know anakin then you know fixes it for him or something like that um that's what i would have loved to have seen more because yeah. when you think about it to
0: a certain extent anakin and jar jar are kind of in the same um role in terms of they've both been taken away from their homeworlds. Yeah. They're both now joining the Jedi and Queen Amadala on this almost mission/slash journey. Yeah. So they have a lot of similarities. And if they had if they had also had something like a technical ability that they could bomb with, then you could have had almost these scenes which were a bit more in-depth scenes where Anakin could talk about missing his mother more, could talk about missing his life on Tatooine. And you could have gone into what happened to Jar Jar, why he was banished from his home world yeah. and his relationship struggles with his own kind. That would have, I feel, given the character this like other lease of life alongside his comedic role that he was obviously intended for, and it would have, uh, you know, just worked out a nice balance. But also going on from that, it, I think once again, it's just it just happens to be one of those things, isn't it? It's less is more unless more was a slightly different direction.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. Like, And I, I do feel that I think actually with the whole trilogy that less is more could have been a lesson, you know, well taken in that there again you know as i as i keep saying great themes ideas just the way they're executed it's almost ott that yeah you've got okay you've got comedic relief but he's so like focused on just being silly comedic relief of a particular type that it, it kind of kills it and then you know but then you've got the kind of serious side as well and you know and and it's, it's just yeah it, it makes the film quite an interesting watch because you've kind of got these two things wrestling and I don't think it ever really settles on either one which is kind of an issue but then as I you know as I also mentioned in relation to the pacing it does really help move things along in a way because at least things are like you know happening and there's action and you know or there's you know a joke or something even if even if it's bad but there's always you know the energy is kept up um so it's yeah I I think yeah Jar Jar is a he's an odd character and yeah as we will kind of talk with the other uh you know over the other films you know he um he does change his arc does change and i think and and he could have been a yeah he could have been a better character i think with some just one or two traits and a couple of scenes that would have like helped you know uh given him a background and like help the audience sympathize with him more and and appreciate more and respect him more in some ways um you know if he had a skill that i think would have really covered that off but unfortunately yeah he just ends up being this kind of yeah just a bit of an, yeah just a nuisance really um <laughs> well from one from one
0: side of the coin to the other another character obviously i would love to touch upon is darth maul mm. um because you know this is his film obviously to shine yeah as it's his only real live action appearance apart from briefly at the end of solo um it's another where we go back to talking about when we were talking about how we would have loved to seen slightly more in terms of Obi Wan and Qui Gon's relationship. It would also, for me, feel the same, and I would love to seen more on Palpatine Darth Maul's relationship than we got. I
1: really agree, yeah.
0: Because we get hints of it, and obviously Darth Maul is the main. He's the Darth Vader of Episode One, but. Gosh, how I would love so much to have seen Palpatine kind of teaching Darth Maul some lessons or Darth Maul maybe, like, rebelling against a couple of thoughts or ways of thinking Palpatine had and Palpatine having to, like, put him in his place.
1: Mm. Or even assassinating someone on behalf of him or something. Yeah, I agree, yeah.
0: To kind of build on his... A darkness as a character and anger as a character that would have been something i feel would have even lended itself even more to this film
1: yeah and actually that's a really good point that you raise because i think i think with the prequels one of the things i noticed mainly in uh, phantom menace and attack of the clones is that so i mean so addressing phantom well both of them essentially they one of the things they suffer from is that there is there is an enemy but the enemy isn't properly identified um and actually jumps around that point so you know with the phantom menace you start you know on the ship and lord sidious is there talking to the trade federation saying you know kill the jedi and so okay you've got sidious there commanding he's a a shadowy figure but you don't see him until Darth Maul talks with him. Really, he doesn't really appear as much of a character as Sidious. Um, obviously, we see Palpatine, and um, you know, and he's the the kind of senator on Naboo and stuff, and and that's understandable. But you know, Sidious has a very limited role in the Phantom Menace, um, as does Darth Maul. Um, and I think that's kind of unfortunately something because again, I, I, Darth Maul is a character who I see I, I have this sort of childhood, you know, sort of real love for because he was just really cool you know he he had the face paint he had the double-edged sword he was really acrobatic he was you know he took on two Jedi and like with sort of like you know no sort of loss of you know of the of a beat you know he just does it all in his stride and he's this sort of character of great intrigue but you really never learn about much about him before or during the film and or of the Sith you know and he's and this is kind of the unfortunate thing is that you've got, you know, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan on one side, then you've got Sidious and Darth Maul on the other side. And they don't, they're not used as well as they should to really highlight the, the battle between, you know, the Jedi and the Sith and, you know, and good and evil, um, even though they're sort of perfectly placed to, uh, which is quite unfortunate because, as I said, like, you know, Darth Maul had a lot going for him and clearly he was very highly trained and skilled. But he barely has any dialogue, so we don't actually really understand his process except for Jedi bad. I must fight them, um, and he only really ever fights Jedi. You know, he doesn't ever go and you know kill rebel, uh, not rebel, uh, Republican sort of people or assassinate anyone. He just only seems to be wheeled out for fighting koi Gon Really, <laughs> it's almost like he has some sort of you know, and this that's the thing it could have been as we we're talking about earlier with the cut scene the intro scene they could have incorporated Darth Maul I think into that and maybe some sort of Darth Maul Koi-Gon Jin fight at the beginning to show that they have some sort of rivalry or something or they fought before and and that would have given something more to Darth Maul and his like sort of intent and you know what he wants to do and achieve or how he feels about that I mean obviously he feels like he hates everything but they could have really gone further I think by showing that like oh him and koi Jin have this thing or they've met before or or he knows about koi Jin and he wants to eliminate him or something you know um and they kind of miss that uh which is again sad you know as a, as i keep saying great themes but like poor execution in that like y- you have these very nice characters just in terms of aesthetic but then the depth of them is almost lost because because of limited screen time and also being, you know, limited to one film, like with, in koi Jin's case, that you kind of do learn about him, but you don't learn as much as you want to. Because to be honest, I love koi Jin as a Jedi. I think he's like, he's everything that the Jedi should be in, in terms of his progressive attitude to the Force, in terms of um, taking on, you know, younger people who are Force protégés and, and trying to bring them over to the good side. And, and actually that's, you know, he is everything that the Jedi aren't and that's actually why the jedi end up falling in the end because they are so stubborn in their own ways but kuigon jin is not and even though he <laughs> inadvertently like you could say that you know his progressiveness is the downfall of the jedi but also his progressiveness is what the jedi could have taken further to help avoid their own downfall so it's it's you know I, so i think Koigon jin's a really interesting sort of character in terms of like intent and in the role he plays but yeah, it just the, unfortunately, the, the they just kind of miss out on some very key uh, backstory, um, which could have just you know enriched the character further uh, and the relationship with Obi, and then also how he feels about Anakin and the Force, and and actually and midi as well. Like this is a point I kind of wanted to bring up with you. What what do you think of midi and the whole introduction to the world of uh, of Star Wars from Phantom Menace? You know.
0: It was kind of... I never really got it from the first time it was referenced. Never really thought about it or looked into it. And then as time has gone on, now it obviously seems to be a way of measuring strength slash abilities within the Force or maybe connection with the Force. Which... Because I feel when we are first introduced to the Force, you see the similarities be- between mystic kind of tales, mm. wizards, knights. You know, you go back to kind of, in your mind, it's very much the King Arthur's, the fantasy stories, the Merlins. That's what the Force kind of represents. It's this yeah. mystical power. And it's funny because obviously the Metachlorians is kind of hammered home in these, in the prequel trilogy, but not so much in the sequel trilogy or in the original trilogy. Something that is expanded on more in the Clone Wars, the animated series, but then also the Force is spoken about in different ways there as well. It never really, to to me... I don't know, it doesn't kind of sit as something that should be a way of telling if someone is Force-sensitive. I I don't like how they can kind of feel that they can measure someone's abilities by just taking a simple reading.
1: Yeah, I I found that also a little bit. And also it kind of goes against Koi-Gon explanation of the Force of midichlorians. And, you know, he kind of, he looks at it, you know, when he's explaining it to, I think, Anakin's, maybe just Anakin or Anakin's mother, I don't know, one of them, uh, when they're getting the reading. And he explains it in a quite biological way that it's essentially midichlorians are what keep cells together and what bind bodies together and, like, the force flows through them. So it's kind of a weird thing that it's like, okay, it's like a, it's sort of a, you know, like a force on, you know, it's something similar to kind of gravity or something like that um but then and it binds so everyone has midichlorians but then people have more midichlorians so does that mean that you know like they have more biological binding or um so it's interesting because as he's explaining it it's kind of you know when i was watching i was uh, you know as he explained further it was almost like i'm not it's kind of getting away further from what i actually thought it was and he, he looks at it from a biological point of view but it's actually sort of a physical energy and it, and it could work in that way that, you know, like maybe people are sort of conductors to the force and they are more so, you know according to their sort of genetic line that could make some sense, um, I suppose and actually like, you know it's interesting because obviously, you know people had a real problem with the chlorians and how it set up and how the force was set up in the original trilogy and actually I think it almost does work a little bit because in the original trilogy, essentially there are no more Jedi, there are no more Sith. So the whole idea of midichlorians and the Force is is kind of lost, actually. So no one really talks about midichlorians or the Sith. So there, there might actually be some sort of scientific foundation to them you know, that was in the pre-world or the Jedi Temple knew about and things like that. Uh, but again, it's just one of these things that they kind of touch upon and then it doesn't you know like if they explored it further with the jedis at the temple or or something around that then maybe it could have made more sense but i think it is it, it's slightly yeah it's it's a bit odd um but then i as i said kind of earlier that i i do like the idea of like you know anakin being made from midi you know or like you know being manifested it's almost like a sort of biblical figure and it's um it's quite cool um but it's just i i I think it's just somewhat undefined which just adds kind of a little bit to the confusion of it especially as like quite a main thing to introduce and and i think again you know with the force and the way it was perceived it was more the force originally was more kind of democratic in that anyone could have the force and it was just really about training yourself to enhance and there were, but then that also goes against you know the kind of original idea of the force because you have people like you know luke who is part of a lineage and all of his you know, you know him and leia also have great force abilities so there is like some genetic match there um which midichlorians does kind of help explain but i think that the again the kind of explanation of it is a bit clunky and kind of confuses it a bit further um than it should really. Um... But then, I
0: mean, that was, I guess, was something which was supposed to be completely outlined and that's how George Lucas wanted episodes 7, 8 and 9. Mm. He wanted to explore that side of things, the Metachlorians side of the Force and really go an in-depth, deep dive into that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm guessing that was his basis for 7 to 9 was more of a exploration of the Force itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yes it's something that we don't quite see again uh, really But so it's just uh, it's just another little thing that was added and yeah doesn't it's... really get talked about too much in the film side of things i'm sure there are some comics or books that have expanded on this that i'm unaware of um but yeah. another thing that i find yeah. is a true highlight of the phantom menace and i mean this goes back to the scene we were talking about earlier this is a highlight in pretty much all star wars films but it's the score and the soundtrack once again john williams is just you can't fault him at all he brings so much to every scene that the score touches really most importantly for me is the duel of the fates duel between and the score written for the fight between darth maul Mm -hmm. obi-wan and qui-gon yeah lends itself to that scene for me makes that scene one of my favorite star wars scenes of all
1: time yeah i i yeah i love the score um i mean the, the for me the music really is faultless across like any star wars really it, 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 it except for the some of the newer kind of motifs uh, in some of the newer ones i found that they you know maybe could have they were almost a bit too similar but i mean it just adds such an atmosphere and like such an urgency to like certain scenes like you were saying with the Darth Maul um fight i have to say i love that fight but one thing that actually sunny my girlfriend brought up in the rewatch that we were doing which was and this is something which i'm now very confused by when i think about it but it's <laughs> and and it's it's kind of changed my perspective on that scene which is funny because you know so the 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 scene the setting is odd because <laughs> they start out in that hangar in on Naboo with, you know, Padme um, and the Jedis and Anakin. And they're in the hangar and they're kind of running through it. And, you know, Anakin gets into the the, the, the Naboo fighter. Uh, Padme goes about the kind of mission to, you know, um, free the city, et cetera. And then the Jedis fight him. And it's quite interesting because they go from that hangar to then this sort of reactor space which looks kind of like the death star scene uh in empire strikes back when you know luke and and vader fight and and i never really thought about it before but then you know sunny kind of highlighted like where are they now like how did they end up in this place and actually i was like that's a really good point I, i have no idea i'm assuming it's like the nuclear reactors for the naboo city but it's a really weird, th- but it works really well. That's the funny thing is that you know, I I never thought about it. Literally, after so many times of watching it, until you know, until this last weekend, and it was like, yeah, we, like where is it set? Like, how did they get there? Like, is that under the hangar? Is that under Naboo? And especially because Naboo is such a, you know, the whole world and the city, it's very green and like balanced with nature and the Gungans and you know they're all in nature. And
0: then you've got the very... scheme in Naboo is very
1: copper-like yeah most gold oranges yeah and then you've got this kind of very stark difference which i think works because obviously the fight is almost like you know it's just just it's a very serious fight and you know you've got the heavy colors of the background and it's quite sort of unforgiving and and sort of intense in a way um especially with you know the those laser doors that shut and the kind of massive drops that there are um but it's almost like it yeah it kind of really sticks out in a way which yeah i I thought i mean i I don't really know what to think of it like now that it's kind of been raised but i thought it would just be a funny point to raise because they kind of get there and it's like but then you know as i said it it, it kind of really works you know um you don't really kind of question it until you know the 25th viewing and then you're like oh wait a minute (laughs) you're right actually the
0: design of that is very death star-esque yeah it's very very settings that you only see in star wars when they are either in a ship or a base in space yeah it's that's what it's very much and it's quite strange Yeah, you do go from a hangar and then suddenly you're what it looks like they've walked into the middle of some part of the death star
1: yeah 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 yeah.
0: but it works phenomenally well for the fight itself yeah to remove itself Um, from everything else that's going on I love the red the scene where the red force fields come in and they all have to wait until the next part of the fight and Obi-Wan obviously gets trapped and that's where Qui-Gon fights Darth Maul on his own but yeah I've never really I've never really thought of that now until now and it's so true because all the other points where you see them walking around the palace grounds and the different rooms are all
1: you know really regal and like almost it looks like, almost like venice or something in in the 16th century and it's it's like a really lovely sort of european city and then you've got this like really stark difference and i think it really highlights the scene it's just it's kind of unexplained which i, I, I don't think it's a huge problem in terms of plot but i just think that that's but i think that's where you know it kind of does highlight though that the filmmaking is somewhat again great themes and ideas but just somewhat clunkily put together and again, and it's quite interesting to contrast that scene against the battle scenes that are going on because you've got the Gungan battle, which is also, which is, I just thought it was just so silly, like watching the whole thing, like seeing them throw things at, you know, at the robots. It's like, like honestly, how, you, how, how many people do you really think you're going to take down? Like, and also even the fact that they have a shield that people can walk through, it's like, oh, well, that, that was, that was pointless. Um, and then also <laughs> like, there's obviously the, the the Naboo fighter scene that Anakin takes down the, the, the ship and that that's a really weird scene as well I think and again I think that is almost unexplained to the point where it's it's kind of nonsensical uh, because first of all you've only got a few select Naboo fighters who go out to fight that and then they're confronted by like loads of like you know th- I mean Tie fighters or whatever the enemy kind of ship is and they all seem to survive, which is quite amazing considering, like, the sort of you know the size of against each other. But then also the way that Anakin wins the fight is almost so like again, it's it's that it's that Jar Jar Banks happy accident where he's like, oh, I will press this button and oh, let's like one of the lines is, uh, I'll try sp-, you know it's, I'll try spinning. That's a good trick. And it's like, yeah, Anakin, you're in war, mate. Like you don't want to do tricks. You just like fire missiles and like su- try and survive or something, you know but then he uh, that happy accident like happens and he blows it up and you know and all the naboo fighters are like hey we didn't hit that and you know it's almost yeah again it it, it it really does sum up the film for me that like final battle scene in that you've got this very serious fight against this you know and i see the flying scene It's almost like a kind of silly serious and then the gungan scene as completely serious so it's like serious silly serious Silly, you know, and that kind of sums up the whole thing for me. Um, which is, you know, and as I said, as a kid, I kind of loved it. Um, and I didn't really think too much of like, oh, you know, th- that was out of place. I, you know, there was a, like a lot of visual elements that appealed and lots of things. And, but I just think now looking back at it as an adult, it's inconsistent in the tone. Uh, as, as much as I kind of look back on it fondly, I think it is inconsistent. But as we've like discussed, I think there's so many great ideas and like actually does set up a lot of the characters and the scenes and the scenarios uh, going forwards that you know it's um it's an i mean it, it it it's kind of an important film it just it could have been you know tightened and and i think maybe rewritten a little bit and um and and uh, you know and as we said like you know it's interesting i think with the one of the big points you know that people remember with the prequels is the cgi and that was one of the things that i was kind of almost looking out for in terms of like how do i feel about the cgi um and its impact on the and i think actually in phantom menace it's not it's not terrible you know you've got really good scenes like the pod racer which are epic but then you've got really you know but even the battle scene between the gungans and the droids whilst i think that is a completely silly and you know somewhat stupid battle um i actually think it looks pretty good um you know it it looks quite epic and you know there's a lot of you know you know i mean it's a battle scene it 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 kind of moves along quite well the energy stays up the the cgi doesn't look bad in i mean um kind of overall um and then you know and but also the film uses a fair amount of real sets which i do appreciate which they in the other prequels they use less of which is a shame But I think in this one, you know, I I had the impression that there was more CGI in Phantom Menace than there actually was. Because if you look at, like, the palaces of Naboo, like, those are, I think, real settings, you know, in the palace. And and they look quite nice. And, you know, kind of walking around Naboo. It just seems to be the overview shots of Naboo, which have a lot of CGI. But then, for me, it's like, well, they're creating a new world. So it's no biggie, really. Um, There's not too much, you know, flying action in the kind of battle scene with anakin um you know the flying battle scene um so i suppose there's not like a huge overuse of cgi but i mean it's all cgi obviously but it's because it's quite short it's not you know kind of so bad or in your face it just actually it achieves what it needs to achieve so i have to say i i was expecting to hate the cgi more and i think in the case of Jar jar i kind of did because he sticks out so much but i think overall like it wasn't terrible you know and there's some really you know nice highlights and i think you know of the of its time it it's it's not the worst cgi film that you know kind of came out um
0: no i very much feel that especially in the phantom menace there is a lot of um actual scenes um mm. sorry actual sets and the cgi doesn't really stand out to be fair i mean you can you can note of you can recognize where there is cgi in big schemes like this big scenes like the city sat um big scenes like the city scape of naboo yep. from coming in the waterfalls the whole city as a whole but yeah there is a lot of really good cgi within that which is very impressive you know it's a film it's what george likes to do he likes to push the boundaries it's what they wanted to do it's what he does throughout every episode of the prequel series they always talk about how when they had the initial storyboard meeting of George going through what is real, what is CGI, mm. some of the things in there like very much similar to A New Hope. They didn't know how to create, yet yeah, they they had explored some of those things. I remember in the Indiana Jones TV series, the Young Indiana Jones yeah. is where they use some of those elements that they then perfect more so on Phantom Menace. So I feel the... Yeah, the CGI, I think, and it's noticeable more in Jar Jar because that, once again, the Jar Jar character creation was something that was very much in its early years, that form of motion capture wasn't something that had been done. I don't feel to that level of a character being so central within a whole sequence, which is why I feel his CGI stands out a bit more to others. But yeah, I didn't really... It's not something that I've ever really noticed too much, And you, but you do notice it more so in the films that follow. But one thing also that I would like to just... At the end of us talking about this film, I would like to cover. It's my favourite film with Padme, hmm. The Phantom Menace. The character of Padme goes through quite a journey, as does Anakin as... Does a few characters within this series, but Phantom Manis, I think she is just awesome. She's so kick-ass as a character. She's very layer-esque. She's very leading the drive. She's right in the middle at the forefront of the battle, the negotiations at the Senate. She's got a hand in everything. And she, you know, she's supposed to be what, 14, 15 years old. And she's absolutely just kicking ass left, right, and centre.
1: Yeah, I I um it's funny again because re-watching it and you know i i basically spoke with my brother about each film after re-watching it because obviously we're such lifelong fans in our shared love of it that um you know he kind of it's interesting because he highlighted the point that it's like maybe it's, it's padme too young you know as a, a ruler but then i was like but clearly the the star wars universe or galaxy um is it's one where you know you've got anakin who is you know what seven eight and he's building pod races. Uh You've got, you know, Padme, who's young and leading. Um, you've got Luke and Leia, who even when they're, what, 17, 18, you know, Luke joins the rebellion, Leia's already leading it. So actually, like, it doesn't, the age, for me, it's almost like, it could feel out of place, but when you think about it, it's like, no. Uh, and, yeah, I, I generally do like Padme as a character. I like, I always like female roles that take the action into their own hands, and push forwards and you know you know she's a princess but she's not and she dresses up but she also kicks ass which is a nice sort and also you know it's interesting i always you know think of the decoys that you know she uses and like that she has her servants dress up as one of her and and that's like a really just nifty little tactic that she you know she's clearly quite politically minded or savvy and you know around you know her own safety as well um and also when to come forwards with the truth and when not to, you know, with the Gungans and she's really wise as a character um, overall. And I, and again, I think they could have, you know, it's similar to Jar Jar Binks with the Anakin relationship that with, with Padme, they could have almost um, explored her further uh, that she was, she's, cause she's clearly got so much to say for herself and she has, you know, such a, an important role um, that almost, they, they could have, I, I, I don't know. Maybe some sort of talking scene with with Qui-Gon Jin, or um, because they spend some time together on Tatooine, and uh, or maybe you heard like talking with Anakin and like developing their relationship, even almost like a you know. Uh, I mean, they they kind of do that on the ship, but it, it feels like afterwards they they feel quite far apart, and and it's the same also with Jar Jar banks and Anakin that they're clearly they have a relationship, but it's not as developed as almost it could be um to bring the characters in a bit more and like learn a bit more of their storyline and how they feel and you know and and so that you as the audience can fall in love with them more and then you can understand why Anakin falls in love with Padme more and why Jar Jar Binks and Anakin are friends you know um
0: more of that camaraderie and bonding that you get in a new hope i feel would have benefited phantom menace especially between those three characters
1: yeah 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 yeah
0: Well, I think, I mean, we've nearly talked about the film for as long as the film. I I think that's a a good place to end it there on our chat about Phantom Menace. And, you know, we're obviously going to link back to things as we talk about the next two films. Um, But it was really great to talk about that film. And the next episode, we're going to be talking about Attack of the Clones. All right. Hi guys, I just wanted to say thanks so much for listening to another episode of Jedi Order Podcast. Please don't forget to like, comment and subscribe and may the Force be with you.